probably a man who should need no introductions, but I'm going to just embarrass him now. So, Sir Alistair is England's most capped player. Uh, he captained England in a record number of 59 test wins. He was also England's leading run scorer and the youngest ever player to complete 12,000 test runs. Uh, he had a record 33 test centuries and was the first England player to take part in 50 test victories. And away from all the records, Alistair hopefully should be a great example to all, all you youngsters on how to maximise your talents uh, and has some great insight into leadership and the importance of mindset in professional sport, which hopefully some of your questions should cover. Um, he's also a great example of a well-rounded person as well as athlete. So for, for you guys, a few of you are probably 13 years old. When Alistair was 13, he received a scholarship to Bedford School, not for his cricketing prowess, but uh, for his... Uh, success in music and he spent his days when he wasn't playing cricket helping out getting his hands dirty on the family farm which he's been chasing turkeys around this morning so um, a pleasure to have him as a brand ambassador and I'll pass on to Mr Borrington and I'll mute myself now so you can ask questions directly. Oh. Brilliant thanks very much Luke uh, just to echo that um, a huge welcome to Sir Alistair Cook it's, a, it's an absolute honour for, for you to join us this afternoon uh, it's been the talk of the school for the last week or two so we are we are very grateful for your time um, and we look forward to hearing some of your stories in the next in the next hour or so so I'm going to pass straight to the year seven classroom with Mr Dobson I think we've got a couple of questions from there to get us underway yeah we do indeed we're going to George first George what's your question what impact do you feel school cricket had on your development and your career? Oh, great question, George. Um, uh, I think a huge amount of development. Um, so I, I played as a, I played a lot of school cricket. I played um, at a Bedford school from 13 to 18. I, I played in the first team. So when I was 13, or actually I'd been 14 in my first year at Bedford school, I played in the school first team at 18. So I. Um, I actually wasn't picked for the first game. Uh, they picked uh, the, the master charge got a guy called Jeremy Farrell picked someone else. A young, uh, he was 17, which was, you know he'd been through all the age groups and they played, picked him ahead of me, which is uh, which is the right thing to do in one sense. And then I um, on the next Tuesday the MCC turned up one short, so I, I got dragged out of double biology, um, anything, anything, anything to get out of a science lesson, and they said, do you want to come and play for the MCC against the first team? I was like, yeah, of course I do. Beats, anything beats um, doing this. And I actually scored 100 in that game. So against the school first team, I scored 100. And then I played in every every fixture there for the rest of my my, my, my school in the first team. So I, it was great because, um, you know, when I was young, I was playing against 18-year-olds. I was 14, so I had to develop quickly. And as I got older and older, then it was like the expectation of you to score runs. Um and deliver and, and do well. So, you know, I loved it. Obviously, Bedford's a great school. Um, you know, lots of facilities, and I realised how lucky I was to, to go there. But school cricket played a huge part in my, my development, there's no doubt about that. Thank you. And um, Erin, next question. Um, throughout your whole entire cricket career, which game was your most memorable? Which game? Was your most memorable? Oh, that's a... Yeah, that that is a, a very tough question. Am I allowed three? Yeah. Okay, thanks. Uh, <laughs> um, probably the first one would be um, in 2010 when we we were playing the Ashes series away from home at Brisbane. Uh, we uh, the first game of the series, obviously massive build up. We were taught that we could do quite well. We were playing at the Gabba, which is the kind of a, uh, up in Queensland, a very tough place to do very well at, and we. We, I think we got 260-odd, and then Australia got 490, 480. So we were, we were behind, quite a long way behind going into our second innings, and we, we managed to get 517 for one in the second second innings. Um, so Stra Andrew Strauss got 100, I got a double 100, Jonathan Trock got 100. And so for, anyone heard of Graham Gooch? He took a score, he took he never, he was, he was England's, one of England's greatest batsmen as well. And he, um, he took a picture of the scoreboard saying it's the perfect scoreboard. So that was one of them. Um, the next one, Stuart Broad. Was Stuart Broad got eight for eight for fifteen. We bowled Australia out for sixty, and we were batting before lunch um, at Trent Bridge in two thousand and fifteen. Um, that was an extraordinary game of cricket just to be just to be involved in, and we won the Ashes as captain. So it's the second time I'd won the Ashes as a captain, and that was an amazing game of cricket. 
scored 100 last ever game. So they're my three games. If I go back and play those three again, I'll, I'll, they'll be my three. Uh, back to Mr. Barnes, I believe to pass on to you, eh? Brilliant. Thanks very much to the Year 7s. Uh, I should have mentioned at the start, just to say a big thank you to all of the, the pupils for the questions that we've sent in. We've had pretty close to 100 questions sent in over the last um, week or two. So it's been really, really tough to choose some of those questions. And obviously, we're going to try and fly through as many as we can in the time. So I'm sorry we can't quite fit everybody's question in, but we will absolutely get as many questions in as we can. And thank you for sending in as many questions as you have done. We're going to go over to the Year 9 classroom with Mr Cadman. Okay, thank you, Mr Borrington. We're off, we're off mute now. Hopefully you can hear us. Right, Harry, first question from you. Uh, do you feel that you have missed out on opportunities to play in different formats of the game that have evolved in the last few years, such as the IPL? Uh, I, I don't think I have, no. Um, uh, I probably I, I probably didn't see the expanse of it coming. I didn't see how much it was going to grow uh, and be such a global game and such a, a big thing when I played. And I, when it first started, I think the first game was 2000. I think Essex, uh, 2003, the first 2020 game Essex played. Uh, so that was right at the start of my career. But you know, for for five or six, you know, for pretty much all my career, Test cricket was the pinnacle, and I still think the the majority of the players is the pinnacle. Um, so you. You know, 2020 is brilliant for the crowds, the kids, and everything. I don't think I'm not ba um, slagging it off at all, but for pure satisfaction, for pure test of a cricketer, there's only one form of cricket, unfortunately, which does that, which is test cricket. So I'm a, maybe I'm a dying breed um, with that. But, you know, you're tested over five days, mentally, physically, tactically, technically. And I don't think you get that from any other form. So test cricket will always be the pinnacle for me. Um, and I and I just I played a slightly different era. I, I don't miss it. Um, I don't miss. I don't sort of sit here and go, oh, I wish I'd done that because, you know, when we sat there and you win a game of one day cricket, it was brilliant. But there's nothing like the feeling of satisfaction and fulfilment as you got from Test cricket. And um, if you could give your 13 year old self one piece of advice, what would it be? <laughs> well, it probably would be make sure you can play reverse sweep and hit the ball over the keeper's head like Josh Butler and then whack it 100 rows back um, just the way the game is changing but if the one bit of advice I always get everyone always asks me this question and I said you have to enjoy this game because it's a bloody tough game to, to play because you fail more times than you succeed unfortunately like you know I, if you look at my career I, I batted for England 290 times you know I only got 3300 so the other 260 times I failed if that makes sense um so you have to learn to deal with failure. So you've got to make sure you enjoy it. You've got to kind of take everything a little bit with a pinch of salt, you know, like, and and accept that not every day is going to be your day. Uh, there's times where you are going to fail and just kind of like don't get too down by it because if you do, you'll beat yourself up too much playing. So I would say enjoy it, scrap hard and play it in every game um, as if it's your last um, and work hard on the break next to you. That would be the advice I'd give to, to three three things for a 13 year old if they wanted to become a professional cricketer if they didn't and they just want to enjoy cricket for the sake of joy, enjoying cricket try and hit the ball as many times you can for six okay brilliant right Tom next question how did you maintain your concentration for so long during test matches yeah uh, yeah good question um I, I, I mean this is again you kind of read this answer a little bit but it's actually the skill of not concentrating you know, it's, it is impossible to concentrate for six hours straight. It is, you know, from 11 o'clock to 6 o'clock with the breaks, you cannot concentrate like that all the time. You will get so tired and you'll only last half an hour. It's impossible to do it. So you have to learn to when to concentrate and then when to be able to let your mind go and relax a bit and then get it straight back up to that level. So if I was batting, um, it'd be a case of, obviously, I mark my guard, I, I face the ball as the guy's coming in, the bowler's coming in, Halfway through his run-up, I'll say to myself, commit and watch the ball. So that was a switch on for me to concentrate. And then I'll play the shot, play the ball, and I, I might play a good shot, a bad shot. You know, um, I might hit it for four, I might defend. You know, whatever happens, then you kind of... Then I walk away, I, you know, walk away from the stumps. I kind of let my mind wonder, wonder what's going to have to tee, all that kind of stuff. So you're not concentrating there. And then when you go back to the, back to the 
piece. Mark my guard again. The bowler's halfway through his run up, concentrate, commit, and watch the ball. So I'm only concentrating for very short segments. And it's that skill of being able to be able to do that, switch yourself on and off, because then you can then really focus intently for those three or four seconds with what you need and then relax. And, and that gives you get into a rhythm of doing it. And if you get into that rhythm, it becomes quite easy. And you don't have to, you know, you're not as tired as you would be if you forcing yourself to concentrate if you do do that like you tense up it's a bit like a bar of soap isn't it if you try and hold a wet bar of soap and it's, uh, you squeeze it it pops out your hands so you've got to almost relax and not try so hard okay um, last question from year nine Matthew um, how did you manage the balance between school and sporting commitments yeah I mean yeah, it was it was tough in one sense um, I was very lucky I had um and good teachers around me understood what was happening. I understood that I was getting... Um, so I went there to Bedford on music scholarship. So I had music, sport, and obviously what I wanted was cricket. And obviously academics, which are important. Um, but so everyone, like, as long as I tried... You know, as long as I wasn't slipping in any of them, they were fine. So they gave me a little bit of leeway on my academics. Um, they gave me a little bit of leeway on my music. Because ultimately I wanted to play cricket. So I was... You know, I was running at seven in the morning before school, going swimming. I was hitting balls when I was when I was about 16, 17, 18. Those last three years, I'd have two nets in the morning before school. Um, so yeah, they, I you know, I try to get the balance as well as good because it is important that you do well in your exams. But it, it's not as you'll realise, it's not the be all and end all. It's more for me, it's more important getting around everything, doing everything, and getting a bit more of a rounded education than what you you know you're the mark you get in your exam. But you have to still work hard and. Ultimately, the rest, like the difference between what I've achieved and say another cricketer who's probably more talented, I worked as hard as I could possibly work, and ultimately, you only get success if you work really hard. Okay, back back to you, Mr. Borrington. I think that's year nine done. Thank you, Sir Alistair. Thank you, Sir Alistair. I think we've got a couple of technical issues with our year seven classroom. Have we got them back yet? Hopefully, Mr. Dobson is working on bringing them back as quickly as he can. Uh, uh, right, to the, to the sixth form centre with Mr. Whitlam. So with Mr. Whitlam. Okay, cheers, Mr. Borrington. First question from Mustafa. Um, how did you compose yourself at the crease, and how was your pre-performance routine dealt with high-pressure situations? Um, yeah, so I, I had a, yeah, I, I had a. Um, <laughs> I tried to get into a bit of a routine, so like, you know, like Steve Smith, tap your glove, tap your pad, tap your thigh pad. But in the end, that was, for me, that didn't. That became like a bit of a forced thing. So I was trying to be as natural as I could. And as I spoke a little bit earlier, it was all about making sure my concentration was on um, for that uh, in that thing and um, for that very short period as the ball was running up. Uh, and then ultimately for the high pressure situation, it was just a man, a manager of, um, of just getting used to it. Um, I had a very good skill, I suppose, of being able to ignore what everything else was going on and just focus on on that ball. It's a skill I don't know how I acquired. Um, you know, I was, you know, with all, I suppose the last test match was quite a good example of it. With all the the kind of the the, the noise going on about the outside, you know the people writing all this nice stuff about me going to this test match and this and that and all the kind of things which could distract you from performance that actually I could forget about the extra attention walking out, you know, the guard of honour. I could forget about this was my last test match and just then concentrate on the most important thing, which is the ball. And I think that skill, I don't know how I acquired it, um, but I had that. That was what kind of separated me out from it. And that um, that dealing with that and being able to perform in a high-pressure situation um it isn't easy, but you, you kind of just have to try and isolate your skill and, and forget about everything else. But it's easier said than done. And it's the bloke on my little shoulder which caused me like the most issues, caused everyone issues. Um, you know, the bloke who's always telling you, you can't do this, you can't do this. How you, your relationship with him is so important to, to deal with high, high, you know, high level success under pressure. Okay, second question from Josh. Who were the best and worst players to share a dressing room with? <laughs> Here we go, into the proper stuff. Here we go, into the proper stuff now. The worst, the worst player to play to just share a change room with would have been. Uh, well, no, okay. There's no, there's no thing. Okay, you had different kind of players, right? So
impressive. A Jonathan Trott star player, who everything was totally organised. I mean, I'm talking obsessively organised. So his pack, all his gloves would be like he numbered his gloves one to seven, how many pairs he had, all in order. Shoes all in order, his bat in order. Everything was immaculate. And then you had say the Freddie Flintoff where every pad was everywhere. I mean, I, you know, his pad was there, his gloves was there, his bowling boot was over there. So that's kind of how a dressing room lived. In terms of you had your neat and tidy, and then you had your blokes who just didn't care where their kit was. Um, you know, someone like the, the great dressing room stories are just you know that's why I still play the game for Essex because of, of, of the dressing room. You know, Graham Swan was brilliant in it. Man, it managed to like always see the funny in any story, which kind of kept us kind of sane when the pressure was on. Um, but yeah, he wasn't a great roommate because yeah, he just wasn't a great roommate. But he's a good man. Okay, then third and last question from Louis. Uh, you're on 96 in your last test. Was that the most nervous you've ever felt? And did the buzzers ruin the moment, or were you just relieved to get to the milestone? <laughs> it wasn't the most nervous. I was, 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 nervous, was, um, I was, I was, I was, I was probably more nervous in the 40s than uh, the previous day because that, that was the end of day three. On the beginning of day four, like, I, about 40 of my, well, maybe not 40, 30 of my friends had were coming for day four, so I was actually like thinking, I got to about half five, an hour left of batting, thinking, God, I don't want to get out now, because they'll be so disappointed of not being able to see my last innings, um, so so I was, I was proper nervous at that last hour, that was probably when the bloke on my shoulder, you know, I was talking a minute ago about not getting too distracted, he was probably winning that battle. Um, in the 90s, um, I can't really remember it too much, I, I remember playing... I remember being quite relieved that Boomerah came back on, actually, because I know it sounds really strange, he's a great bowler, but that off-spinner who got me out, Mahari, it's not the greatest off-spinner, so I can't get out to him in the 80s or 90s, I'll kick myself, so I actually was, I was more nervous facing him, and then Boomerah came on, I was like, right, I'm going to be, be quite aggressive here, um, and then obviously the nine, going to 96 to 101, it was just, yeah, it, was, it saved a lot of stress, I, I wasn't nervous, but I just desperately wanted to do it. I wasn't any more nervous, I should say. Uh, but no, it didn't ruin the moment. I think it was brilliant. I love watching I love watching it go past and watching um, Pajara, who's not the quickest bloke in the field, try and run after it, thinking he ain't getting that. And I was getting 100, so it was a good moment. OK, over to you, Mr. Barrington. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Um, brilliant. Thanks, guys. A couple of our year 10 cricketers with me in the room here. We're going to start with Grayson. What advice would you give to play in the short ball? Oh, uh, well, the most important thing has to be able to watch it. You know, people get in trouble just when they turn turn, turn, their, turn their head away from you. You have to constantly watch the ball. There's a great drill for that. If you stand against the wall, like literally stand against the wall, get Mr. Borrington just to throw tennis balls at your head, right? So, like, not too fast to start with. Well, it depends if he likes you or not, but then all you've got to do is just move your head away from and see how close you can get your head to the ball as it goes past you. And you can do... I mean, it's great skill to practice. All you It's most small movements you can to get away from it. And then try and do it with your eyes shut or turn your head. You just get hit. So got to keep watching the ball and get reactions there. And then to play the short ball, you've got to decide one thing. Are you going to play it or are you going to get out of the way of it? There's no, like... If you soon you get indecisive, you'll get trouble. So for my career, I took it on 90% of the time. I looked to play it all the time. So I looked to play the short ball if it was there, and then I would get out of the way by like kind of dropping my hands rather than ducking. But like Steve Ward just ducked. As soon as he saw it short, he ducked. He wasn't entertaining the short ball. So if you're clear on that, um, you can do it. And just practice, practice, practice. Start with the underarms with. With, the, with playing pull shots and making sure you're watching the ball at all times. And that's basically my only advice. And it's quite great fun because it's a great shot to be able to play because you can hit it for six, you can hit it for one, you can hit it for four, you can hit it behind square, in front of square. Um, so, yeah, start like that. Start with underarm feed and just keep whacking it, whacking it, whacking it, but never turn your head. Brilliant. Let's go. Who was the toughest bowler you faced in test matches and why? Yeah, this is, uh, again, I get a question I get asked quite a lot. And I don't have one tough, toughest bowler because it kind of depended on what I was doing. So, like, Mitchell Johnson is quite a good example, you know, the Australia bowler. In 2010, I would have paid any money to face him. You know, he was bowling quickly, but I was on the top of my game and he 
game. Do you know what I mean? And then suddenly in 2013, I wasn't playing as well as I'd like to play. And he was flying. And then, so in 2010, I dominated him. In 2013, he dominated me. So, do you understand? So, it depended how I was playing. If I was playing really well and I had rhythm and I was in a bit of form, you know, I wouldn't mind facing anybody. But as soon as I struggled a little bit, as soon as I was out of form, bowlers who took the ball away from me from around the wicket, so say Trent Bolt, a left arm predominantly swung it away from me from around the wicket, or um, he was obviously over the wicket left armour, but Ishak Sharma, Mornay Morkel, took the ball away from me, I found that the hardest. So that kind of style of bowling, and it could be anyone. But ultimately, if I was playing quite nicely and my rhythm was in my game, then I would have faced anyone. Brilliant, right. Um, we're going to head over to our uh, Cricket Mad Head of Year 11, Mr Mansell, who I think will perhaps have more questions than all of Year 11 put together. So, Mr Mansell, are you there? Uh, Mr Borrington, I'm going to resist the temptation to go down my list of 385 questions for, for Alistair Cook, and I'm going to pass straight over to Jack Luxton. Uh, how do you stand out from the players that you manage? And what extra work did you put in yourself and other players? So how did I stand out, was it? Yeah. Um, I probably had the ability to... Um, uh, I probably played a short ball better than a lot of people, and I just found a way of scoring runs. So every time I went up a level, I just I just found a way of adapting to that level straight away, um, kind of taking the environment out of it, um, and taking the situation and just the ability just to play every ball on its merits. Um, and I worked harder than everyone else. As I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, before school, four times a week before school, I swam twice a week before school and ran twice a week. With the prime thing of just trying to get fitter for my cricket. And I, and I believe that I worked harder than everyone else. So I hit probably more balls than most people. I was, you know, at the stage where you needed to. And that was as good a thing for me mentally as was any, for anything else. If you put all the hard work in and you know that you've worked hard on the bloke next year, you're gonna, I think it's a great confidence builder. So that was a, that was probably the difference for me. And, and ultimately, I was in the right place at the right time for every little level going up. There was an injury at Essex opener when I was 18. I got to play. Injury to, to Michael Triscothic and Michael Vaughan at 21 when I was in a bit of form and kind of got to play. So that that's kind of a bit of luck, but right time, right place, and managed, managed to play to the top of my ability under pressure. Mr. Barrington, Jack's just turned to me and said, uh, are you up for a run at five o'clock tomorrow morning? Uh, Kian Tennant? Uh, what advice would you give to your opening batsman? What advice I'd be... Um, what, the best advice I ever got was um, that some days you win the battle and some days you lose the battle. Because if you think the other bloke who... Um, the other bloke with a new ball, obviously he's a decent bowler. That's why he's got a new ball. He's fresh. So some days you will lose that battle and not to beat yourself up too much about it. So as an opening, you might go 0-0-100 and there's nothing wrong with that because uh, sometimes a new ball gets you. So you have to be aware of that kind of thing and be quite like a deal with that and be accepting of it. Um, and as an opening bad perfectly play, you have to know your have to know your game really well and, and stick to it to start with. You know, that new ball against a new bowler, fresh pitch, um, fresh bowler, but have that ability to say, well, I've got, I've got my three shots to start with to get me into every innings, you know. So I'll be a cut pulling the clip. That'd be my, that'd be my three shots, and I'll stick to it until I got myself in, until the ball got a little bit softer. Obviously, it's alright for these mid-order players when the when the ball's a bit soft and a bit flatter. You can kind of start with it however you want. But as an opener, you've got to be quite regimented in that and know your game really well and stick to it just to start with. Because you're getting in. You one thing, good thing about opening, you don't have to really often play spin to start with. Um, so you kind of know what you're dealing with. So if you can be quite clear and strong in your mind and your game plan to start with, um, you can be quite consistent uh, to do that. But it's a great place to bat because once once you do get past the new ball, you're already 20, 30 not out, the boulders are tied, you're in, and you can just set the game up and it's a great place to do it. If you do that and get 100, um, great job kind of great job for the team. Sir Alistair, sorry, did you ever stick off behind, not get given out, and then go on and score a hat full of runs? Yeah. Do you want me? I, I reckon I, 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 I remember one of my hundreds against Pakistan was my 
think it was my second hundred um, for England. I was out three times. I should have been at LBW. I should have been out caught behind twice. So given not out three times, so I was actually hundred for three. Um, the DRS would have proved it, but some days it's just your day in it. I never. I walked once in a game of uh, first class cricket um, in two thousand and four against Derby. And Ronnie and Ronnie walked down and said, "Why did when he, at the end of the day?" He said, "Why did you walk?" I said, well, "I was out." He said, "Well, that's fine, but if the umpire, if you give yourself out." And then when the umpire gives you out when you're not out, you're decreasing your odds of scoring runs. So just wait for the umpire to give you out. And if you get away one, you get away one. If you are out when you're not out, it kind of evens itself out. So that, that was kind of my mentality. Um, but then you can't throw your toys at a pram if you, you get a bad decision because there's a few times you nick behind, you stand there and you get given not out. You kind of realise you've got a bit lucky. But So it kind of swings in roundabouts. But definitely, definitely let the umpire do his job. Thank you. Back to Mr. Morrington. Thanks, Mr. Mansell. Uh, I was pretty sure you'd be the first member of staff to throw in your own question, but I'm sure you're going to be closely followed by Mr. King, who's over with the Air Aids. Yeah, thank you, uh, Mr. Borrington. This place is bouncing in here. There must be 30 people in here. They don't tell the COVID compliance officer about that. Um, Belle's going to come up for the first question, so I think she's the first first girl to ask the question, so over to you, Belle. Nice and loud, please. How important has your mindset been to you for what you've achieved in your career? My mindset? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's what's probably made the difference for me, like my mind and being, um, being able to deal with the bloke on the shoulder. Um, so the, you know, the bloke who always talks to you, uh, who's always negative for me, always says you can't do stuff. Um, being able to deal with him um, and deal with everything that goes is so important. So, like, if I was taking like you guys, I don't know if you've got an exam coming up next week or something, you've got, like, you know, you've got your nerves and you've got that anxiety to do with it. It's just your brain telling you you're ready for it. Your brain's telling you that's a, 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 a normal reaction to um, when you put yourself, a human reaction, under pressure. And it's just being able to accept it uh, and kind of then set you there and then move on so like I used to the day before I played test cricket so the night before I'd do all my training the night before I'd write um I'd lie in bed this is going to sound a bit weird but I'd lie in bed and write what I want to do down so the next day so if I was facing Dale Stane how I'd want to face Dale Stane I'd also write down how I'd want to face the next bowler but I'd also write down like what I was expecting my brain to say so and what I wanted to do. So I wanted to commit, I wanted to do this, I want to be positive, I want all the stuff to do. And then when I woke up the next morning, when the nerves and the anxiety were there and the bloke on your shoulder telling you, oh God, you're, you've got to go and open the batting in front of 30,000 at Lords. You know, I hope you win the toss and bowl so you can take the pressure off. But all that kind of stuff, which is a natural human reaction. I'd read my notes and say, no, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to go about it. And this is what I wanted. And so just before I batted, I'd read those notes and I'd be like, right, and then try and do that. And then some days the bloke on my shoulder would win and I wouldn't, I couldn't deal with him as well as I could other days. Um, so like, you know, you could go into exam and you, you could feel really stressed for it. But if you think, well, that's only, in, that's how you're meant to feel and just accept it. Go, right, I'm going to park that and then say, right, how am I going to try and deal with it? So that's, so being able to manage my mind um, and understand how my body works now it might be different for you you might feel a slightly different way about certain things that's great but as soon as you understand it and understand that knowledge it'll be best for you and don't worry it took me until i was 28 to work that out so maybe not 28 25 sorry so don't expect you don't but it's, it's a really interesting thing to to talk to people about brilliant thank you um ben your question when, nice and low ben when practicing the net which of the England bowlers did you find hardest to face and why? Uh, good question. I tell you, this is a good one. But I used to love facing Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad because they were guaranteed to play. So they would bowl at like 70%. And, and unless you annoyed Jimmy, like you didn't throw the ball back to him nicely. So Jimmy and I, like he would bowl swing a swing. I wouldn't play Jimmy attacking shots at him. All okay. I wouldn't try and annoy him by trying. Like if I played a big drive at him, I played a nice shot, he'd get so grumpy. Then he'll speed up. Broadie was fine. Broadie was in his own little thing. But the worst bowlers were, as a captain, you'd pick 12 for a team, right? So you're in a Laws Test match, you'd pick 12, and the extra person would always be the extra bowler. And the coach would always put me in against those two bowlers who were uh, 
were trying for their spot. So it could be Stephen Vin and Mark Wood. Okay, they could be vying for that the third receiver spot. So they would bowl the speed of light, try and knock your head off. And you think, oh God, they're like trying to prove a point. Let me play me, play me. So that's kind of, I had 59 test matches of that really. Um, so it wasn't anyone in particular. It was when you're trying to face that bowler who, um, who was trying to get into the team. It was an absolute nightmare. But Jimmy Anderson, I hate to play. I hate playing against him for Lancashire because he gets me out all the time. But you don't like Lancashire, you lot, because you're Yorkshire, so it's fine. There's a few Lancashire fans in here, Sir Alistair. Um, oh, right. George, George. You're one of them, by the sound of it. No, oh, yes. Um, George. <laughs> um, what, was the, what was the proudest moment of your career? Proudest? Um, I think winning the Ashes in 2015 as a captain for the second time. Um, after what we'd been through as a side, um, after you know we lost 5-0 18 months before, we kind of rebuilt the side as a kind of under... Like myself and Trevor Bayliss and uh, and Peter Moore's rebuilding that after the KP affair, it was that was the, that was the time where I was probably the most proud of myself and and and, and the team for we went into that series as heavy underdogs so to win like that was was very special. And just to be able to push you on that, how 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 was it dealing with the KP affair? You know, was it was that mentally exhausting for you? Did you think that affected your overall performance? It did for you. Oh, actually, I did score a test hundred in those those uh, eighteen months. So I think it did. Yeah, uh, I think that just kind of shows the scrutiny of England captain when you're under that kind of thing, where you don't know quite what you have to deal with. So obviously, looking now, Owen Morgan. I mean, it's not quite the same thing because it's not for that long. But trying to deal with COVID stuff, trying to deal with bubbles, trying to deal with stuff, which all stuff outside, as you guys have had to deal with outside of actually what your primary purpose is, which for us was trying to win cricket matches for England. So. That period of that period of twelve months was was a tough period. Um, was you know it's great it's sad because cricket is all over the, the front and back pages for all the wrong reasons. And I was obviously heavily involved in that, um, and it became great when Strauss came on, became director of cricket, and and took and took that re- kind of that decision and that responsibility away from me, put it straight on his shoulders, so I could I could go back to play cricket. And and it was amazing that a few months later I was scored, I was back scoring runs. So yeah, it, did, it definitely did affect me. Yeah, appreciate the honesty on that. Thank you. I'm going to pass over to Zach. Zach, nice and loud, please. Uh, who was your favourite partnership? Oh, um, I was going to say probably that there's a couple. There's one with a guy called Nick Brown at Essex where we, we were 380 for naught uh, and we broke the Essex record and I was the one who I was the one who got out. I got out defending 190-odd to an off-spinner. We, we were 20 away from 400. I think we were about 30 away from the, well, I don't know, the record for it. No, I think maybe the record's 40 away. So that was I, that was a great party. That was great fun. Um, we gutted we didn't do that. Um, and then the Jonathan Trot 103, when we got 380 at, uh, 380 at Brisbane, as I mentioned earlier, uh, 517 for one. That was, as, that was as good as it was. Hello. It's gone quiet. Well, the internet's gone. Sorry, I fixed the door. Sorry, I'm going to pass. Thanks for that. I'm going to pass over to Max Chaplin. Uh, what was it like getting involved first, first ball of the innings against Australia? The Ryan Harris? Yeah. Well, luckily it was second innings. Luckily it was second innings, so it wasn't. I wasn't on a pair thing um you know what i was talking about earlier some days as an opening batsman you get you get you know the other bloke bowls are better ball and you can't do anything about it do you know what you sit down there you take your pads off and knowing that if you bowl that ball a thousand times at me i'll never have been able to hit it so it didn't matter if i was on naught 100 120 70 you know a ball which swings in nips away and then swings as it passes my bat as well and, hit and clips the top of my stump. I'm never hitting that. So, actually, you put your pads down. After all, the Aussies are shouted at you. All the Aussie Perth fans are shouted at you. You put your pads down and you go, actually, I can't do it. Anymore. You can only smile at that. You can literally... I remember probably laughed at it because there's nothing you could do. Brilliant. Thank you. Max is one of our high achievers here in cricket. I'm sure he's going to get plenty of those for his balls, so don't worry about it. Um, next one, Jamie. Play a game. 
and change and change it. Yeah, if you had one mulligan, which one would it be? Um, probably. Although it actually turned out to be a brilliant test match, and you remember the one with James Anderson? Headingly, it was James Anderson was out second to last ball against Sri Lanka. Um, we, you know, they him and Moeen batted a bit. It was a great test match, but I'll have that again because. My captaincy, I could have changed my captaincy quite a lot during that part. There's a partnership between Angela Matthews and a guy called Harath, the little left armour. And they were, se- they were seven down when they went past our score. So, you know, they were they were naught for seven, effectively, in their second innings. And we tried a tactic, which I should have changed about three and a half hours before, about trying to starve Matthews for the strike. And it didn't work. And I didn't change it. And we lost that game. And actually, they put, they put on loads and they set us 280. And that would be one where I could, I would like to. You live and learn, don't you? Brilliant, thank you. I think we've just got two more in here. Just swinging it around. Sean, nice and loud. So, so I'll just say, yeah, I'll yeah. just reiterate that. Just was it always your dream as a child to be become a professional cricketer and, and, and captain England? Yeah, it was definitely to become a professional cricketer. Uh, to captain England, I, it wasn't my dream, if that makes sense. I never even thought about that or never even aspired to it. That kind of just happened. But yeah, I remember saying to my mum and dad, at probably like eight or nine, I want to be, become a professional cricketer. And actually, ironically, like when you sign your first deal, I, I signed when I was 18, when I just left school for a summer contract. And my dad came up to me and said, congratulations, you've become a professional cricketer. You realise your goal, but... You know, you, you obviously want to achieve a lot more than that. You know, you don't want to just be the bloke who plays for a year or so and then goes off because you know. But I've lived, I've lived the absolute dream. So to say that that's what I wanted to do and to make a living playing cricket and and playing for your country as many times as I did. I mean, you could. I, I mean, I, I still had to pinch myself to realise how lucky I was to achieve that. Brilliant. Thank you. And just one final one for me, sir. So if you don't mind. How did you make the decision to, to step away from, you know, you're, you still obviously scored a century, you're still top of your game. How did you make that decision to actually say, I'm going to step away now from the international game? Well, yeah, I mean, that, I think that century is a little bit of a a, 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 a lucky moment. I, I was struggling for about 18 months in terms of, um, and motivation is not the right word, but I, as I spoke, I always trained harder than everyone else. I always did more and, and I've always had something to achieve. And I got to a stage... Um, probably about six months after I handed the captaincy back that I struggled for a little bit for that and I saw psychologists to try and get new goals to try and you know to try and give yourself something to kind of keep going I suppose like Jimmy's I find it amazing how he's kept going but um, I didn't have that desire to do it ultimately uh, and I lost that edge and it's a very sad thing to, to admit to yourself so you know I saw someone about it I, I spoke to the guy who's worked with me all my career on the mental side and we tried to work things through and ultimately nothing definitely was and it became the fact where you had to look in the mirror and go, do you know what, it's time to, it is time to step away. Um, you know, I wasn't actually that good for about 18 months. I've got a couple of big double hundreds which kind of like hid, hid, and hid a few things away and I, I looked in the mirror and I was like, right, it's time to go and um, it was actually a very easy decision in the end um, and it, it certainly um, lifted a bit away from me and it probably freed me up to play as well as I did in that last game. Well, I have absolutely no regrets about it, and um, and it's given me, you know, a couple more years at Essex. You know, life moves on in a different way, and I look back now with great fondness of that, and that knowing that the last time I ever played for England, um, I got a hundred, England won, and James Anderson took a wicket the last ball to become England's le- no, the world's leading seamer. I mean, I don't think it's any better way to to move on than that. No, brilliant, thank you. Yeah, it's not a bad way to finish, is it? I'm just going to pass it back to Mr. Borrington. Brilliant. Right, we uh, we did lose them um, a little bit earlier, so we're going to go back to, to Mr. Dobson in the Year 7 classroom. Cheers. Uh, question from Harris Hussain, who called me here this evening, but I'm sure he'll be keen to listen back. Which was the toughest country to play against, and which overseas conditions did you find the most challenging? Toughest overseas conditions? Uh, I think it's really, it is so hard to win in, in the subcontinent in general. Um, so winning in India um, when we won that that time in 2012 was an unbelievable achievement. You know that 
there histori- historically how hard it is to for English sides or any sides to go there and win because it's such a different condition. You know, that's what I suppose Test cricket. What, what I, why I love the game so much. You know, like you can put a football pitch kind of anywhere. Yeah, okay, it might be slightly different in temperature, but the football pitch stays the same. Um, it's the same kind of game. But actually, the skills you need to succeed in the subcontinent compared to Australia to compared to England are so different. And but you have to to be able to master that. I think is uh, is 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 like why it, why it becomes such a test. So I'm going to say subcontinent to win, and then obviously I think Australia throw in Australia as well, just because of the history and the tradition of it. Thank you. And over to Adam. What's that? Sorry. How did you become the best batsman in the world? Well, I actually never became the best batsman in the world. I got to number two. That's as close as I ever got. I got two. I got to two for a bit. Um, but I just, I, I got lucky. I, as I said earlier, I worked very hard. I worked hard. I was relentless on it. I was very clear on what I wanted to do, um, and I knew my game pretty well. So I was, I was quite a limited player. Still am quite limited. Player. I don't have all the shots in the world. So someone like Amy de Villiers or Virat Kohli, I was quite limited. But I made the most of that. And, I was like really determined to score runs and never, once I got in, I was like, right, no one's getting me out here and I've got to make them pay because um, there's enough times where I didn't get in. So that's kind of that, that stubbornness and determination kind of separated me, I suppose, from the rest. And over to Isaac. What was your favourite ground to play at? My favourite? Ground. Um, I have to say Chelmsford at Essex, really, home ground. Um, but Lords, Lords, I think, is number one for me, just with the historic, the historic thing. It's an amazing ground to play, and it feels like a cricket ground. Um, some of the stadiums you play at, like the MCG or I suppose the SCG now, they're more stadiums, but cricket, Lord as a cricket ground is fantastic. And I'd like to play another game at Queenstown in, in New Zealand. Um, right next to the Remarkable Mountains, it's a stunning, literally the most beautiful ground you'll ever play at. So they're the two my favourite grounds. Bill? Uh, what was your favourite shot to play? My favourite shot to play was a straight drive. Um, I think any time like, you can play a straight drive, I, I, it gives you the ultimate satisfaction. But I, I, I could, just couldn't do it very often, so that's why it's my favourite shot. But my best shot would be probably my cup shot or my pull shot. Um, they're the two shots I'd be most renowned for. But um, I, I shouldn't, like for me, I, was like, I don't get, I mean, I'm glad I get it because I get, I normally hit it for four but if you play a straight drive you know everything's in working order and it must be quite it's a great fit thrill for a, a batsman to see a ball and turn the head as it shoots past them all on the floor and over to Matty what advice would you give to a 12 year old open, open bowler who really wants to be a professional <laughs> ring Jimmy Anderson ask him uh, I think uh, what's what things think you need to well it says the same thing you need to know what you're going to do you need to know your game you also need to prepare how hard it is because it hurts bowling hurts um so that i think that's one of them but also and another thing i suppose is don't don't be scared to experiment with your new skills so like if i i, I always like, i get asked a question like this i don't really know how to talk about i think what would james anderson say and you know he was 28 years old he learned the wobble scene so you learn a new skill at 28. So he's always trying to learn a new skill as a seat, as a bowler. You know, look at those knuckleballs being bowled. Um, all this stuff. Just try them out. Try them out. Try and uh, bowl and bowl and practice doing it because it must be quite fun learning that. That's great. Thank you. I'm not sure if we've frozen. We can hear us, but that's it from year seven to back to Mr. Bowenton. Brilliant, right. Um, I think we're just probably going to have enough time just to squeeze a few extra questions in from Mr. Mantle's class, if you're still there. Yes, we are. Uh, Charlie Coakley. How did you get back into Nick when you were out of form? Uh, yeah, um, I, what I used to do, I suppose I can say now, because I, I suppose I know my game really well. So I had three things on my checklist, which I'll do. Um, so I used to do what everyone else did, try to search for a golden ticket, look at your technique, thinking, are oh, my hands going too far out? Are my hands tucking in? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? I had three things on my checklist. So the first thing was the left hand is, was my head falling over? 
So obviously, like, if you know, no, I'm going to do it to the screen. Like, if the ball's there, it was my head going that side of the ball. If that was going straight at the ball, I was happy. And then, am I getting my weight forward and back into a shot? So if the ball's full, am I moving my weight forward? Maybe not a massive stride. Am I going back? And then, can I hit the ball straight? So I'd have those things on throwdown. So I'd have someone throw at me, and I'll try and I'll make sure those three things would be uh, monitored uh, and checked. If I could do that, that's all I would do. And then it would be a case of, right, go into the game and try and survive for half an hour. Try and think, right, for this game, I'm just going to try and bat for half an hour. You have the bloke talking about your negative stuff. Don't worry about how many runs you're scoring. Don't worry about what shots you're playing. Just survive for half an hour. And then that rhythm will slowly, slowly come back. And then it's amazing. Then you're not that far away from because ultimately there's only a very, very small thing probably going wrong. Your rhythm might be slightly off. Um, that's why you, you might be out of form um, if it's not some major technical thing. So I strip it down, right down to my basics and then try and back for a period of time trying to get my basics. That's what I will try and do. Uh, Sir, so I'm obviously a few years older than some of our students, or all of our students. And my favourite bit of cricket ever was when uh, Freddie Flintoff taunted Tino Best uh, down the wickets and we, uh, I don't know if our students uh, remember him chuckling behind the stumps. Have you got any other similar stories where you've had a bit of banter with some players, uh, maybe teased them into doing something and the, and the plans worked? Well, I actually didn't play that game. That was a couple of years before me, so you are showing your age there, Mr Mantle. Um, the... Um, <laughs> I got a few laughs. Like, I mean, it's all, it's all like, uh, so, no, unfortunately, the stump camp got, uh, the stump mic got everything in the way of any of that because everything got picked up, didn't you? So, if you really care for what you said, um, and also, I'm not as funny as Freddie, so I can't remember any, uh, I can't really remember any of that. I remember, uh, the jelly bean incident in 2007 when the jelly beans were on the pitch and that all kicked off, but I haven't got as good a story as that. I'm sorry, no. I need to make one up next time and then I've got the answer ready. And who was the quickest bowler you ever faced? Was there anyone genuinely where you were like, I'm desperate to get back down the other end? Well, I, the quickest bowler I ever faced was a bloke from Sean Tate, who was actually, he actually played at Essex, but he was called the Wild Thing. He, he, sling, he used to sling him down, just literally ran in. He was quite a big bloke. He bowled one at 157 k's an hour, so that's just under 90. I think it's probably just touching 98 mile now. I'm just under 100 mile now. That was quick enough. Um, I'm glad Straussy. Face. He only faced, yeah, he could only bowl a couple of overs at that, and that was genuinely quick. Um, Fidel Edwards in Barbados played, bowled a very quick spell um, before the majority short pitch bowling. And that was uncomfortable. Then obviously Mitchell Johnson in 2013 and 14 was consistently as quick as you would want to face, really. Um, but yeah. And and finally, how have you, how have you motivated yourself? You've gone with all due respect. You've gone from having capacity crowds, you know, playing in test matches, full full crowds. to go back to Essex, and you still are scoring tons and tons of runs. What is your motivation? Because you've been you've done everything in the game. What is your motivation to go back to your home county and to, to keep piling the runs on? Um, I think for the enjoyment of it, that was my motivation. I. I spoke to a few people in 2018 when the, kind of, the decision was kind of going through my mind and a few of them said just walk away from Tony and a couple said if I had, they had their time again they would go back and play a bit of county cricket because it's a big thing to film. You know, cricket cricket's all your life, all you ever know and then to suddenly stop one day um, is quite a big thing to fill and that transition period became quite tricky. And ultimately, I, I love playing for Essex because they're basically just a, quite a few of my good mates who I played a lot of cricket with. I know Ravi's not there, but I played cricket with Ravi when I was 12. Um, so now that was, you know, 20-odd years we've played together. Ryan Tenderscar has been there since we're 18. Do you know what I mean? So there's a group of people who I've been around a lot and played too much cricket with. Um, so there's a, a combination of that, really. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm not sure of what I wanted to do. I still enjoy playing cricket. I wanted the, kind of the pressure to be off in one sense. Um, and, yeah, they're the reason why I've carried on and... It's been well, well, won two trophies. Still on mute, Mr. Mantle. Yeah, that's a positive, uh, Sir Alistair. It's good when he's on mute, if I'm <laughs> honest. <laughs> yeah, um, obviously, our resident professional cricketer, Mr. Borrington, played first-class cricket for Derbyshire. Can you reveal your plans? He, he said that he always had the wood over you. 
can you can you reveal your plans um, about how you would bowl to get Mr. Borrington out? Because there's a lot of kids that bowl at him in the nets in the summer and can't get him out. Do you know any of Mr. Borrington's weaknesses? Because he claims well, that you know you of yours. Well, I mean, mine are fairly obvious. You just bowl on an off stump and then you're like, you're done. Like, bring me forward and I'm done. I'm trying to, you know, when you recognise, you recognise thinking, I definitely reckon out now. Now it works out why. Um, we never lasted long enough. We didn't have to bowl. We bowled straight. I think on that note, Mr. Mansell, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up your classroom pretty quickly. And uh, um, yeah, anyway, um, guys, I'm pretty conscious of the of the times, and I'm, I know people are going to be uh, shooting off to catch buses. So I think we're probably going to have to leave it there. Uh, a huge thank you to, to Sir Alistair for joining us. We are very, very grateful um, for your honesty and the insight that you've given us into your career. It's been brilliant to listen to. Um, it's been over 100 kids around our school listening so thank you very very much for your your time and the way you've answered the questions we really really do appreciate it there's lots of people excited about school cricket starting again after Christmas which is great um, so please keep an eye out for that all of you young budding cricketers I think Mr King is just going to finish us off yeah I just think massive thank you Sir Alistair for taking the time and obviously thank you very much to, to Luke Gray yeah and obviously Gray's and the relationship with them. But a massive thank you must go to Mr. Borington, obviously making sure he got all the questions and got all the students to stay behind in the right place. And we wish you as a school, we wish you every success in whatever that is after cricket. And as I said, you know, if you're ever looking for a job, just give us a shout down here. If you ever fancy coming to Yorkshire, you know, we might, have, we might be able to line something up for you. So, no, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I hope it was okay. You're never, never quite sure how it goes down on, on silent Zoom calls, but... Uh... I enjoyed it.